And it was a very powerful song. I think each one of us can relate to it in a very special way. I meant what I said when I'm very blessed to have a church family, each and every one of you. And I know that you pray for Sergio and myself all the time, and we greatly appreciate that. Because the enemy will do everything he can to disrupt this. He tries to disrupt all the preparation that we do to prepare for this. But guess what? This is God's time. This is when God speaks. And I am just a vessel. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, oh, your presence has been felt. Your presence has been experienced here this morning, and we thank you so much for it. And I just pray that I can be of, of value and a vessel that can be used by you because you have a message, I believe, for your children. There is such conflict and turmoil physically, mentally, spiritually in our lives that we need clarification. And in that clarification, I just pray that you can help us see the simplicity of your message. This morning, Father, we ask that you speak to us, that we too can experience you and leave here today a changed individual. Thank you, Father, for this time. Thank you for your preparation. Thank you for the privilege to be able to be here for you and for bringing each one of your children here this morning. In your loving son's name I pray. Amen. Yes, you may realize this is not a regulation football. If it was, I would not be able to do this. Sit back and listen. It was July of 1961 and 38 members of the Green Bay Packer football team were gathered together for the first day of training camp. The previous season had ended with a heartbreaking defeat when the Packers squandered a lead in the fourth quarter and lost the NFL championship to the Philadelphia Eagles. The Green Bay Packer players had been thinking about this brutal loss for the entire offseason. And now, finally, training camp had arrived and it was time to get to work. The players were eager to advance their game in the next level and start working on the details that would help them win a championship. Vince Lombardi took nothing for granted. He began a tradition of starting from scratch, assuming that the players were blank slates who carried over no knowledge from the year before. He began with the most elementary statement of all. Gentlemen, I hold in my hand a pigskin. This is a football. 
This is a football. I would have loved to have been in that room as those players looked at him. Lombardi was coaching a group of three dozen professional athletes who just months prior had come within minutes of winning the biggest prize the sport could ever offer. And yet, and yet, he started from the very beginning. Lombardi's methodical coverage of the fundamentals continued throughout training camp. Each player reviewed how to block and tackle. They opened up the playbook and started from page one. At some point, Max McGee, the Packers Pro Bowl wide receiver, joked, uh, Coach, could you slow down a little bit? You're just going too fast for us. Lombardi reportedly cracked a smile, but continued his obsession with the basics all the same. His team would become the best in the league at the task everyone else took for granted. Did you hear that? They would become the best in the league on the tasks that all the other teams took for granted. Six months later, Vince Lombardi is carried off the field by his players after defeating the New York Giants 37-0 to zero to win the 1961 NFL Championship. If you were to ask Vince Lombardi why did you win the game? You know what his answer would be? Because we went back to the basics. We didn't take for granted the things that we have learned. I love that about that man. I never personally knew him, but yet he was such an inspiration for so many people, players alike. But I know in my life, there's a person that it's inspired me that I love dearly. He's not with us anymore, but his name is Morris Vinden. Man, there was something about that man. And I can't help but think that if Morris Vinden were here today, he would say, Richland Church family, this is a Bible. This is a Bible. In it is the answer to all your problems. But don't let the enemy have you chase rabbits trying to find the answers. I want you to look at the core of what this Bible is all about, church family. And when you do that, you can't help but go to 1 John 4, verse 8, God is love. Boy, if we take that for granted, we're in trouble. God is love, and because of God's love, he sent his son to come and to die on the cross for us, for me, for you, 
cover my sins. But yet the story's not over in here, folks. Jesus rose on Sunday morning, and he was victorious over death. The battle has been won. Satan, the devil, is a defeated foe. It's a snapshot. It's an event that's in the midst of this Bible. But may we not lose track of it. May we not lose track of it. Because it is the core of who we are. And with Moore's Vinden, he may say, Church family, I would like for you to look at 2 Corinthians 5.21. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Oh. Morris loved righteousness by faith. I remember we were told by his son that dad would have a guitar with only one string, and he would pluck that one string, and that one string for Morris Vendor was righteousness by faith. Then Morris would say, let's take another look at it. He said, for he, being God, made him Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us who knew no righteousness, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him, which is Jesus. Do you see it? God wants us to have the righteousness of Christ. Up here in front, I have the word righteousness. And if you would ask the girl, the world, what does righteousness mean? It will tell you right doing. Doing what is right. That's what righteousness means from the point of view of the world. But Jesus here says, no, I came to die for you, to give you my righteousness. But this is where it really gets confusing. Because we have over here stalking in the shadows a person who does not want us to connect to the Savior. He does not want us to worship God. He does not want us to have anything to do with Jesus Christ and his gift. So what he does is he counterfeits Jesus' righteousness and he whispers in your ear, you are enough. You have the ability to do it yourself. And so all you have to do is right doing. I remember when I heard the story of that Jesus died for me and that his robe of righteousness covers me. That when God looks at me, he sees Christ, a forgiven child. But if I'm over here on right doing, the only robe that I can put on is the robe that is found in Isaiah 64. All of us 
have become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We can try our best, but when we put our robe on, just picture it, filthy rags. But we boast with pride to say, look at me. Look at what I have done. Look at what I can do. You're all familiar that there's a person in the Bible, an angel in the Bible, who loved the word I. I, I, I. And he has worked so hard to work within our world to influence us, to counterfeit God's love, to counterfeit his truth, counterfeit his gift of Jesus Christ. He has done due diligence for 6,000 years, folks, and he's still working hard. And guess what? I'm susceptible. And I fail at times. Because he can deceive the very elect, the Scripture says. That's why it's so, so important for me to keep my eyes upon God. It's so important for me to have a relationship with Christ. Because he does send us out to chase rabbits. Rabbits that may look righteous, but in reality, it has nothing to do with God's plan. We're all familiar with this text it's a concerning text. I know when I read it, I thought, oh, man. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Just by that picture alone, didn't they qualify to be right doing? Yeah. They were doing wonderful. But there's a problem here. They were doing it themselves without the influence of the direction of the partnership with Christ, which gives you his righteousness. So Christ responded back, then I will tell you plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. I read that and I said, oh, Lord, I never want the Lord to tell me. To go away, you evildoer. I want to be connected to Christ. I want to be able to have a relationship with him. I've shared this before, and you probably have seen it and heard it, but I think it's so appropriate. An apple tree bears apples because it is an apple tree, not in order to become an apple tree. You get it? A Christian bears right doing because it's a Christian, not in order to become a Christian. Ah. You know the problem that we do? We put the cart before the horse. Don't take that personal, Lord. But we put the cart before the horse. 
We focus on the right doing. Behind my desk in my office, I have these four words, and I've shared them multiple times. Pastor Eric helped me with this. And I tell you, the enemy is doing so much to keep me away from understanding my belief and my thoughts. Fred, don't worry about that. Just ask somebody, they'll tell you. In fact, I'll even tell you how you should behave. Because see, when the devil works, he focuses on the word behavior. And we're susceptible to it. A, a new year comes, January 1st, and we, and we make a New Year's resolution. Man, I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to exercise. I'm going to get better. So what do I do? Do I give thought to it? Do I, 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 I go to my mind with my beliefs? No. I go out to the store, and I buy sweatpants, tennis shoes, exercise machine, all these things to look good. Man, I look in the mirror and say, you're pretty good looking, a little fat, but you're a good looking dude. But I'm going to work on that. Well, guess how long that takes. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> she knows me. What's the problem? I try to do it on my own. I don't partner with Jesus to say, Lord, I need help. I'm a sinner. I can't do this myself. I call upon you. I believe that you can do it for me. With Christ, I can do all things, right? Without him, I can do nothing. This is prevalent in my counseling over and over and over again. People come to me, and it's the behavior, behavior, behavior. And by all means, do not let your feelings govern the way you live. Because the devil can influence your feelings as well. A Christian can bear right doing because he or she is a Christian. Not in order to be a Christian. The scripture says we will be able to discern by their fruits that they bear. We're not to be judgmental, no. But we can sure see the fruits that they bear that I can discern the kind of person that they are. But it's a fine line. It's a fine line because, see, I can even be deceived by each one of you in this church. I love you all. But yet I could still be deceived. I like this text that Jesus says here in John 10, 14. I am a good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. I am a good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep 
know me. It does not say that my sheep know the 28 fundamental beliefs. That my sheep knows what day to go to church on. That my sheep knows the time prophecies of Daniel and Revelation. That my sheep memorize scriptures. That's all right doing. But does he look at that and say, that is what he's looking for? No. What do the sheep do? You see it? What do they do? Come on, I got ears. I can hear. They know him. They know him. There is nothing more powerful than the fact to understand that the only thing that God wants from us is a relationship of knowing him. I have given you the opportunity in the past. I'm doing it again on the four-year counter. There's a book out there. It says, To Know God. First come, first serve. Go for it if you wish as you leave. Morris Vinden once again has wakened my eyes up to see a picture of a relationship that he is asking of me. He's asking of you that I believe so strongly. It's crucial. It's crucial. I, I couldn't help but in my preparation with the Bible here, Morris came to my mind. But, but what if Jesus Christ was here? What would he say to the Richland Church? I think Christ is a man of few words, but powerful words. He will look at you in your eyes. He would tell you that I love each one of you deeply. I have given my life for you. I have a plan of salvation. Richland Church, why are you making it so hard? Do you hear me? Why are you making it so hard? Chew on that this afternoon. Because I believe from my life, we do. We make it harder than it has to be. I study with young kids, and oh, I enjoy their enthusiasm. I enjoy their honesty. I enjoy their openness to what they say. I'm so proud of each one of them. And just the fact that this gift that he gives to us is such awesome, amazing grace. And just last Wednesday, I was with a young boy, 11 years old, and we were in the park. 
and we were studying, and a text came up, and the text was Ephesians 2.8, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God. And I looked at him, and I said, how does that make you feel? Eleven years old, he looked at me and he says, I feel guilty. I'm not worthy enough. Eleven years old. He already is caught up in the ways of the world. Because you see, the enemy doesn't care about 11 or 111. He works on each one of us to deceive us, to beat us up. To get us to the point that we can't see the forest because of the trees. I tell the kids when I study with them, I want you to understand there's someone out there who's really alive and well. He's real. But guess what? He doesn't care for you at all. The thief, the enemy, devil himself comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. That is his intent for each one of us. Isn't that exciting? That's depressing. There's no hope in that. There's no hope if I stop right there. But thank the Lord that Jesus has already got victory. He says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the fullest. He's not talking about eternity in the kingdom. He's talking about the fullest right now. That we can experience the fullest in the relationship with Christ right now. That's exciting. That gives me hope. That gives me a desire to get to know and love this man, Jesus Christ. Why? Because God is love. He does everything based around God is love. I like the Hebrew word here for yada. The men's breakfast, we went over this last Sunday, but yada to know intimately. I like that. Jesus wants to have a yada relationship with him. To know intimately, to have a covenant relationship with someone, to have shared experiences. I am so glad that I can stand here and say, folks, I have a yada relationship with my wife. Praise God. We're intimate. We're convicted on our vows. I will stay true to you. But the thing I love the most about her, we have shared experiences all the time. All the time. She left for a few days to go to the Oregon coast guess what this puppy did around the house? 
I missed my shared experiences. Do you see what God is asking of us? He wants an intimate relationship with us. He's not asking you to have all this knowledge in your brain to do things over here to make a list of all the right doing that you do. No. But there's something within us, children, adults alike, that come into my office, and it seems for some reason that always comes to the surface. There is something that I have to do to gain salvation. I just can't sit back and do nothing. Well, sister, brother, yes, you can. But you do do something. You accept the gift of Jesus Christ. And in doing so, you stand over here by Christ because with righteousness, there's Christ and his righteousness covers me. Oh, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for that. He died for me. I got to quit listening to this person here or being or whatever trying to make me to go over here to do right doing. Friend, all you got to do is this, 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 and this. That's what's important. Because, see, by doing this, this, and this, people will see you do this, this, and this, and you'll look good. The Pharisees. Right doing. And the Messiah walked in front of them and they didn't recognize him. Because, see, they were so caught up in their selfish, self righteousness of look at me, look at what I do. I'm sorry, folks, I'm just calling it like I see it. We're all susceptible. We're all guilty. We've been there. We fall into the trap of me. Look at what I can do. Look at what I am doing. We get boastful and proud. I think it's just a part of our DNA genetics as sinners. I'm looking forward to the day that we can be in heaven and not have to deal with that. But my good old friend and buddy Morris you can memorize every verse in the Bible, study every day of the week, understand every key text, but it's not what you do. It's who you know. Ooh, I like that. I like that. I love the last line. It's not what you do. It's who you know. That will define who I am. I'm so caught up in trying to do the right things to make people see me that I am doing <laughs> the right things. See, I'm trying to be accountable to you. When in reality, I'm accountable 
to God. He doesn't want my dirty rags. He just wants me to surrender. Surrender. Man, that's a hard word. Do you guys like that word? Do you find it easy? It's hard to surrender. Paul says I have to die daily. Sometimes there's pictures that just resonate with me. We enjoy God on the mountains, but we get to know him in the valleys. Oh, boy. How true that is. I can see out here faces that I know each one of you had had valley experiences. Do you thank the Lord for it? Amen. That's where we grow. He doesn't want us to be on the mountaintop all the time in the sunshine and in all the, this is great. We don't grow in that environment. We grow when we're in the valleys. We grow when we have hardships, when we experience pain, when we have to struggle. Because at that time, we are almost forced to relinquish and say, God, I can't do it no more. I give up. I'm all yours. And he goes, it's about time. God is a loving God, but he allows things to happen to get each one of you to that point. Lord, I can't do it no more. I give up. It's about time, kids. That shows me a God that is persistent. By allowing things, allowing hardships and pain and things to happen in our lives to wake us up. I can sit here and look at faces and probably get testimonies of how you have experienced problems. But they are probably the greatest events in your life. Knowing God is what Christianity, religion, and life eternal is all about. We've talked about John 17, 3 before, but yet I think it's worth repeating. We can't hear enough of it because it's so true. Now, this is eternal life. This, this, folks, is eternal life. So pay attention. Pay attention, he says. This is eternal life. Are you perked up? You ready? That they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. We have talked about this before. Jada, my star pupil. Jada, if you have Jesus and shout it out, what do you have? Eternal life. There you go, folks from the mouth of a child who gets it. She can lay her head on the pillow at night knowing that Christ is in her life and her life is not in turmoil. And she knows that if anything were to happen to her, she has eternal life. But yet, see, God says, that's wonderful, but I am here for you, Jada, right now so that you can experience life to the fullest. And she is. She 
And Carson and that whole family is experiencing life to the fullest because that's what he wants from us, his children. Not for us to focus on right doing. I can't do it myself. The enemy's phrase, I just heard it this morning, you are good enough. I'm sorry, Charlie, but you're not. May we not take the letter that God has written to us for granted. May we remember and hold on to the text that we memorized as a child. Because in it, it takes us to the core of when God says, I am love. And because of his love for you, for you, for you, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I know for myself, I grew up memorizing John 3.16. Never did get to 17. Just wasn't until recently, a few years ago, I thought, you know what? What does 17 have to say? 17 has a lot to say. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Oh, now it gets personal. Hear my breathing? I like that. I sound like a bull. Jesus did not come into this world to condemn the world. He did not come to condemn you, Charlie. Kenya, Ryan, he did not come to condemn you. Or you, or you, or you, or you. Unfortunately, a lot of us believe that he walks around with a club. And if we don't, be, if we don't do right, he thumps us. I'm sorry, it doesn't work that way. He came to do what? To save the world. He has hundreds and thousands of these all over. <laughs> Jesus saves. Open your eyes up and look for a life preserver. It's there. He places it in front of you. Unfortunately, we're too blind to see it at times because all the things the enemy I don't like it. Jesus has won the victory. The enemy knows his destiny. He knows where he's going. And guess what? He says, I'm not going to go alone. If I'm going down, 
you and you and you and you and you and you, you're coming with me. No. You can sit there and look up and say, no, because Christ had the victory. Satan, you are a defeated foe. You can do nothing to me unless I allow him to influence me through the world, through neighbors, through family. Ah, that's the hard one. That's the hard one. We need to remember and not take it for granted the cross. May it be a part of your life every moment, every second of the day. That you are valued. You are valued because he died for you, for me, because God is love. But yet the story isn't over there, folks. The story's not over. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, even though this body dies, we shall what? Live. Sunday morning came, and they came to the tomb, and guess what? It was empty. Because Jesus lives. And because Jesus lives... we can live as well. He was victorious over death. And when I have Christ in my life, when I have his righteousness in my life, I am the wealthiest man on earth. And every day I have to look into the mirror and say, Fred, don't take it for granted. Because unfortunately, unfortunately, the enemy will have rabbits run across my path. I hope you're understanding what these rabbits are. Rabbits are fast, but these aren't literal rabbits that I'm chasing. These are things that he distracts me. He distracts my attention. He knows my weaknesses. He knows the issues of my concerns. He knows where I'm vulnerable. He knows where, he knows my sins. And so he has me chasing these rabbits. And guess what happens when I'm chasing the rabbits? I lose sight, I lose focus, and I forget about the wonderful gift of my Savior, Jesus Christ. He's deceiving, folks, but yet the Lord already knows where his destiny is.
and the victory is ours. We all sit here today victorious as long as you have Christ in your life and you have said yes to him. I want to end with this one text found in Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. Paul gives this prayer to the Ephesians. Oops. Okay. Fourteen. So I bow in prayer before the Father. Every family in heaven and on earth gets its true name from him. I ask the Father with his great glory to give you, to give you, the power to be strong in your spirits. He will give you that strength through his spirit. I pray that Christ will live in your hearts because of your faith. Christ, the spirit, dwells within us. I pray that your life will be strong in love and be built on love. And I pray, pray that you and all God's holy people will have the power to understand the greatness of Christ's love. How wide, how long, how high, how deep that love is. It's immeasurable. Christ's love is greater than anyone can ever know. anything that we can know. But I pray that you will be able to know that love. That, that's my prayer and plea. I want you to leave here today to say, Lord, I want to know you. I am your sheep. I want to know my shepherd. I want to have a yada relationship with you, Father. I want to be intimate I want to experience time with you. Then, then you can be filled with everything that God has for you. With God's power working in us, he can do much, much more than anything that we can ask or think of. Imagine that. More than anything you can think of, Charlie. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus for all time, forever and ever. Amen. Oh, I love that prayer by Paul. May we personally heed that message today. It's just not the Ephesians. It's each one of us this morning. God desires for us to know him. Please, children, he says, quit making it so hard. The gospel message is simple. Christ came, he died, he rose, 
so that you can have eternal life. Sheep, hear my voice. Sheep, accept the message. Sheep, I want you to, not part of the script, but in hearing that song, I have a confession to make. I came into this church in 1976. I felt that my upbringing, I was a good Christian. I knew Christ. Don't get me wrong, I love this church. But I wanted to be a good Adventist Christian. And with two boys and a loving wife, I found myself focusing on doing right. I held myself accountable to you, my brother Lynn Harms. I'd always say, what would Lynn do? Not knowing that I still had the chains that bound me from the freedom that God wanted me to have. Just like the picture on the mountaintops and the valleys, I got laid off at the age of 50. I thought I'd be at hand for the rest of my life. Thank God I'm not. But you as a church took me in as a Bible worker, as a shepherd. As a pastor. And it wasn't long. It wasn't long until all of a sudden the reality of what I preach today, the reality of what has always been there, it hit me. Christ and Christ alone. Fred, quit trying to live up to the standards of somebody else. Don't get me wrong. Fred, you're not accountable to the conference. You're accountable to God. Live according to your belief in God. Let you have a yada, didn't know it then, but have a yada relationship, Fred. Be intimate, be personal, be real. Experience Him, but Fred, be real with Him. You don't have to always be trying to do right. And it wasn't long. I remember sharing with Beck. Something's happening, hon. Completely unexpected. But it's what God has wanted me to be. 
and where he wanted to me and having you help me on my journey to be where I needed to be at that point in my life. I thank you. I thank you. There is no greater feeling than the freedom of not being bound by the chains of this world and accountable to anybody other than God. You can think whatever you want of me. If you see my Sabbath activity, something that you don't approve of, so be it. Come to me. Talk to me. If you see my actions contrary to what you believe, talk to me. But I know between me and my God, we're on the right path. And if I have to help my neighbor, if I have to do this or do this, so be it. Why do we bind ourselves? When in reality, he says, I want you to have the freedom and experience and not be persecuted for loving me. Thank you. Thank you. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your presence here this morning. We have been blessed. I know I have been blessed, and I thank you for allowing me to be a servant for you. But I thank you for this wonderful church family. I can't think of any other church that is like this church. They're real. They're transparent. We wear our feelings on our sleeves. We're open. We're honest. I pray that we are. That's what we strive for. May each one of us come to love you as our shepherd and truly desire no more than just to hear your voice as you direct us, you lead us, you protect us. You give us everything we need. May we not leave here today and take for granted the words found in 1 John 4, 8. God is love. Love. Love for each one of us. May that resonate within us throughout the days to come. In your name I pray, Father, and thank you. Amen.